All right, what's up, guys? My name is Mateo. Welcome back. So we are just doing like a social commentary here. Uh, it's a little bit different than what we usually do on the channel. We're not going to be like digging through data points, connecting things together and making or at least compounding our super hyper mega nuclear bullish case on Monero <laughs> as we've done over the last hundred videos. But we're just going to be commenting a little bit on the social elements of the space today. Um, and thank you, Peter McCormick, or relevant Peter McCormick, uh, for linking this to me. And you want me to dismantle this maxi pad nonsense? Um, let's take a look. Let's see what this guy's got to say. I don't know who Max Gagliardi is. He sounds like an Italian bro, but let's check out what he's got to say. I I went through this a little bit. Uh, for the most part, I think everything said here is wrong. <laughs> so uh, let's. Let's just go through it. Let's have some fun. Let's check it out. So he says, what happens if Bitcoin fails? Uh, he says, if Bitcoin fails, privacy fails. So dumb. <laughs> right? uh, Bitcoin's a surveillance coin. Uh, your privacy has already failed. Um, now people are saying, well, we're, we're going to have Lightning Network with Tor. Okay. Uh, coin joining and uh, Bitcoin mixing. We've talked about the issues with these here on the channel. We're not going to reiterate all the details, but yeah, Bitcoin's not that private. <laughs> okay. And if you want something more private, uh, it would actually be ideal for Bitcoin to fail and for people to actually recognize that there are better cryptos out there, which give you more privacy, which are more fungible, which have lower transaction costs, which are quicker, etc. which is Monero. So um, this is wrong. This is false. And he says the ability for individuals to send and receive value peer-to-peer -peer without the interference of government and the banking system will be lost. No, it won't. Bitcoin. <laughs> so, seriously, people have been transacting gold and silver for thousands of years. Um, people do this in Venezuela. People do this all over the world still. I mean, you don't really hear about it because it's been going on. It's not news, right? So this is not true. Now, whether or not you'll be able to do it digitally is another question. And that's also false because you can do it with Monero, right? So um, let me just make sure you can hear me. Okay, cool. He says, Bitcoin allows for a future where anyone can, can have private access to their money. You already can have private access to your money. Again, gold and silver, you can put it in your safe. You've got it, okay? Now, I've had some rather weird comments here on the channel uh, from people who are like, but Matt, dude, if you've got your gold and silver in a safe, what they can do is they can fly planes over your house with geological radar systems <laughs> and they can see your gold and silver. And at that point, it's just like, okay, well, why don't you just drop a bomb, okay? Like, <laughs> just get it over with. Um, but yeah, that's not true either. So on to the next point. If Bitcoin fails, censorship wins. Now we've talked about here on the channel as well, I'll link a video of how increasingly a lot of hash rate is moving to the United States. U.S. corporates are taking over that hash rate as energy problems in Europe continue to worsen, as China cracks down, Turkey cracks down, India cracks down, and other countries crack down. Uh, there were issues recently in Kazakhstan where there was about 18% of the Bitcoin hash rate. And as we talked about yesterday, the sentiment is not so great over there. So a lot of them are coming to the States. And people don't know what's really going on with Russia, which has about 10% of the Bitcoin hash rate. So maybe they're coming over to the United States as well. We don't know if they're going to ban it. We don't know if they're heavily going to regulate it. Even if they were to heavily regulate it, are they going to mandate a lot of KYC and AML to the point where there is kind of like a censorship element, right? So who knows what's going to happen, but we do know that 
U.S. corporates increasingly have the hash rate. And if OFAC uh, decides with the U.S. government that they want to censor transactions or they're going to use the Ruskies as an excuse and say, hey, the Russians are getting into Bitcoin, which means that they're trying to evade our sanctions, which means that we need to get into the Bitcoin blockchain and make sure that they're not invading our sanctions, which means OFAC compliant pools, uh, which we've already seen before with Marathon's mining pool up in Canada, then you're not going to have a censorship resistant blockchain anymore for the most part. And yeah, that's going to be a problem. Censorship is already winning on social media. Uh, and yeah, yeah, this isn't true either. So by the way, follow me on Gab. Gab is very cool. Gab is my favorite alternative social media platform right now, which is very Christian oriented, which has a very good value system. Um, I think the only thing they censor over there is adult entertainment, but we don't need any of that here. And that's my favorite alternative to Twitter. Uh, some of you have mentioned Panquake. If you guys more, if you guys have more information on Panquake, Panquake, I think that's what it's called. Uh, leave a comment. Let me know what you guys think of Panquake. Sounds cool. Uh, I guess it's like uh, a blockchain social media that's private or something like this. I don't know. Tony, you had recommended it. What's up, Tony? Uh, he says, we are in an unprecedented age of censorship. That's correct. Bitcoin is the most secure network that has ever been built. Resilient, anti-fragile, and permissionless. Uh, open to anyone in the world. There's nothing else like it. Uh, that's not true. Bitcoin can't be censored. I would imagine um, with the decentralized peer-to-peer mining pools that Monero now has, I would imagine that it's actually more resilient and anti-fragile than Bitcoin. And I think that we've seen during geopolitical upheaval uh, with bans going on and stuff in Kazakhstan, the hash rate in the network for Monero has actually proven to be more resilient than Bitcoin's. So... Uh, to some degree, that's because you mine this stuff with a laptop. You don't need ASICs hardware, which I anticipate in the future is going to be regulated. Uh, maybe you're going to need a license to mine Bitcoin, in which case they're going to get information on people who buy ASICs hardware. And the funny thing is, maybe you're going to have to buy ASICs <laughs> uh, on, the, on the dark webs or the black markets with Monero. Right? So, I mean, I think Monero is more resilient, anti-fragile, and permissionless than Bitcoin. So, point number three is false. Moving on. Where's my water? Number four, Quattro. If Bitcoin fails, big government wins. Look, Bitcoin's been around since 2008, and the size of government has gone freaking parabolic. <laughs> okay, so um, I don't see the trend lines here that say the more adoption of Bitcoin, the higher the Bitcoin price, the smaller the government. I'm not seeing that at all. Um, in fact, what I anticipate to happen is that because Bitcoin is a transparent blockchain, which emits an incredible amount of data about people and their financial lives, there's going to be a push to regulate the government to increase regulation on crypto like Bitcoin so that advertisers, so that lawyers, so that uh, you know, compliance professionals, etc., um, can get kind of a cut of the action, right? So Bitcoin could actually make government bigger, counterintuitively. Um, because of the extra data which it's making available, which people want to get control of and you know profit from, like Michael Saylor, right? Uh, Michael Saylor runs a firm called MicroStrategy, which is a data intelligence firm, and he works with the U.S. government. His clients are, uh, you know, Homeland Security, Justice Department, etc. So, is it going to make government smaller? I don't know. I mean, Michael Saylor seems to think that 
the U.S. dollar is going to continue to be the world reserve currency with the help of Bitcoin, <laughs> with the help of the Bitcoin rails. Now, frankly, I'm still trying to figure out what this Bitcoin rails stuff means. Could you guys explain this to me? Um, I don't totally understand. Maybe they're talking about the Lightning Network. Is that what they're talking about? Um, but yeah, he says the U.S. dollar is actually going to grow as a result of Bitcoin. Now, people are like, oh, Trojan horse theory. He's trying to get along to get along or something like this or go along to get along. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I have not seen this theory play out. I think that to grow a decentralized, robust parallel economy um, that is outside of the regulatory apparatus of the state, uh, you need a private crypto, which is fungible, which is anonymous with stealth addresses, and that's Monero. So moving on, the government can lose hundreds of billions of dollars annually, but want us to report every time we spend over $600. Well, with Bitcoin, uh, with the AOPP stuff that they're now kind of initiating, it's not going to be just over $600. It's going to be every payment that you make, uh, but that's neither here nor there. There is no government accountability or transparency in our system. Without Bitcoin, we lose the only counterweight to that system. So here's my thing with this. The government went off the gold standard in 1971. Okay. And one of the reasons for that is because the gold standard limited their capacity to, to increase the amount of uh, spending that they could do, right? With fiat currency, you can just print this stuff out of thin air and you could have unlimited government spending. And the people pay the inflation tax. And most people don't know about the inflation tax, so you can secretly uh, you know, take people's money, right? And if Bitcoin introduces that same limitation, but also makes it so that all their finances are being closely monitored and watched, why would the government want to adapt Bitcoin or adopt Bitcoin? Why would they want to do this? I mean, if they went off the gold standard before, what makes you think that they wouldn't go off the Bitcoin standard at some point, right? So just a question that I have, and they certainly, by the way, do not want all of their finances to be tracked and traced, the government. Um, go look into Catherine Austin Fitz. Go look into Dr. Mark Skidmore. I mean, there's been trillions of dollars of what they call undocumented adjustments in some of these um, you know, financial reports from some of these departments like Housing and Urban Development and the Department of Defense. Trillions of dollars that just go missing. Now, who knows where it goes? Maybe it's being shuffled out the back door to some of these corporations and contractors, etc. Um, but, yeah, they don't want accountability. Uh, it's a giant dark slush fund, the government, and they're not going to easily be on board to Bitcoin. If anything, I imagine they're probably going to want Monero more for a tax payment than Bitcoin. So just something to note. And by the way, if governments do adopt this stuff, you're going to have increasingly less KYC Bitcoin because a lot of it's going to be adopted by the government. And if it's going to be, you know, onboarded to a ledger, right, that everyone can see, then that's less Bitcoin that is off the ledger that is actually private, right? So that is something to note. Moving on, point number five, Bitcoin fails. The central banks win. Unelected bureaucrats decide the value of your labor and time. Money is the way we store value of our time on this earth. Uh, no one should have the power to inflate the value of your time away from you. Bitcoin set to 21 million supply fixed this. I, I agree with his critique of the central banks. I absolutely do. Um, do central banks really lose, though, if Bitcoin wins? That is a question worth considering. Um, because if it's just going to be relegated to digital gold, then you're still going to need, you're still going to need like a quick currency 
that is used in day-to-day operations, right? If gold just becomes a settlement layer, or excuse me, if Bitcoin just becomes a settlement layer, um, then you're still going to need a currency which is issued for everyday transactions, right? And as we know, because of Bitcoin's, you know, small block size and because of its high transaction costs, and some people say the Lightning Network fixes this, we'll see. Um, Arctic Mind doesn't seem to think so, and he's a pretty smart guy, and other people uh, who have looked into the Lightning Network say there's going to be routing problems and, uh, you know, scaling problems and things like this. But, yeah, you're going to need another currency, right? You're going to need something else on top of that Bitcoin. And Michael Saylor, again, wants it to be the dollar, uh, presumably the Fed coin, CBDC, right? So we'll see what goes on with that. And this is something that Trace Evader, um, go give him a follow on Twitter. He's pretty cool. The 21 million cap supply could actually be an issue. Um, with gold and silver for thousands of years, the supply was variable. You know, if you had a period of deflation where, you know, you had fewer and fewer amounts of gold and silver chasing ever more goods, then what miners would do, because the price of the gold and silver would be going up relative to the goods, is they would be going out to mine more gold and silver. Makes sense, right? And so the supply and demand would kind of be in, you know, a dance of equilibrium. But the thing is, with Bitcoin having a cap supply, that's a relatively new phenomenon to money. Now, there are benefits to this in the sense that it incentivizes people to spend less because, you know, if people are consistently losing their Bitcoin, they're losing their wallets, uh, if the supply of Bitcoin is consistently going down, then that means that you have deflation and the value for money continues to go up, which incentivizes people to spend money on only things that they actually need rather than all this extra crap, which you know, is incentivized in our modern society by a bunch of debt and by credit cards and all this stuff. So that's a good thing. And because Bitcoin is for the most part, like, you know, infinitely divisible, uh, infinitely divisible, then that's not as big a problem as it was with gold and silver, right? Which, you know, you can only divide it down so much. So there are some benefits to that. But the issue is the security goes down on the network, as is argued by Trace Evader. Um, and I have to, again, look more into this argument to understand it more. But as the reward for the miners goes down, as the subsidy goes down to encourage the miners to secure the network, they have to increase the fees. Or, you know, they have to come up with something else that incentivizes people to continue to secure the network. Um now, people say this is a problem that's going to be experienced by Bitcoin sometime in the next, you know, 50 years or something like this. Maybe not. Maybe it's sooner. But um, some commentators have already noted that the security uh, relative to market cap, relative to whatever, is going down. Now, if you know more about this, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on this particular argument. But if you know more about this, please leave a comment. Uh, I find it interesting. With Monero, we have a tail emission, which means that there's always going to be some more Monero, which is given as a subsidy for miners to continue to mine the network and secure it. So um, I think that is good. Arctic Mines seems to think that is essential for any crypto to have any longevity going into the future. Um, And that is something worthy to note. 
He won't even invest in Bitcoin, not because of its private issues, but because of its scaling issues as a result of this capped supply. He thinks it's a fatal issue. Go check out our interview with him. He goes into more detail. So that's point number five. Let's go to point number six. If Bitcoin fails, free speech fails. Now, this is an interesting one. Let's check this out. Bitcoin is code, letters and numbers. A private key is all you need to be able to store, transport, and transact value with. Never in human history has speech and language been this powerful. The freedom to speak is the most basic of human rights. I I agree. I absolutely agree. Everyone should have the right to speak their minds. Uh, I'm just trying to understand how this ties into free speech here. Um... I know that there are like some social media sites being built on the Bitcoin blockchain and the works. Um, I don't know who's going to be using those. I don't know how well they're going to work, but let me get like this doesn't even make sense to me. We're talking about a financial blockchain, right? And he's trying to tie this into free speech. Now, you know, the freedom to spend your money how you want to is part of free speech, I think. I think that's right, but um you know, if you can't get on social media anywhere, but you got Bitcoin, I'm not sure what your free speech capacity really is. So I'm not sure if I understand that argument totally. Um, if Bitcoin fails, objective truth is lost. Now, this is just, this is absurd. This is very dramatic. Um, objective truth is lost. Maybe he's meaning like our capacity to have truth on a blockchain, which is, impermeable and can't be changed that goes away right but he he says here what is truth has never been more convoluted um that's a subjective statement i think that's a subjective statement i think if you are well trained in philosophy and you know logic and you know uh reason you have a good rational mind that's not the case for you. Maybe the case for everybody else because they have a poor education. But Bitcoin doesn't fix poor education necessarily. Um, yeah, this is kind of weird. You can find experts on both sides with internet facts supporting that Bitcoin is the only thing that we have that is truly objective and transparent. Oh. Man, that's that's kind of a scary statement, isn't it? That's that's very hyperbolic. Uh, the longest chain speaks for itself. Um, yeah, I don't even know what to say about that. There's so much to unpack there that I, I don't even know where to get started. So he's basically saying truth does not exist without Bitcoin? Bro, come on, dude. We're just going to throw out like 2,000 years of philosophy uh, and just say that doesn't matter. So let's just move on. I'm not even sure how to address that. If Bitcoin fails, the energy transition fails. Uh, If the hope is to transition to a new energy future, we need Bitcoin, uh, the energy buyer of first and last resort. Bitcoin monetizes energy waste and incentivizes new and efficient energy resources. Energy and Bitcoin are nearly synonymous. Oh my goodness. Guys, are you starting to see like this is kind of a cult here? 
Um, this is starting to concern me. Do you guys know who this guy is? See, the Bitcoin bros and the Bitcoin pumpers, like, they're so freaking hyperbolic. And I know a lot of them probably do it to pump their bags and to market this stuff and get everybody in on the meme. But some people, I think, buy into this stuff. And the unfortunate thing is, because we live in such a secular society and because we're living in a post-Christian society where everything is failing because we don't have God any longer and people no longer have the faith, um, which is the true root of the problem, people are kind of in a state of despair and despondency, and they're looking for a quick solution to try to turn things around, whether it's some medical advancement, some technological advancement like Bitcoin or something else. You know, fix the money, fix the world, free the markets, free the world. Everyone's got their slogan for as to how to turn things around. Um... And this, to me, is like a cry for help. This, to me, is like a cry for help. I would encourage this person to go to church. <laughs> um, because everybody's looking for that one thing, right? That one thing that could lead people and civilization back to a state of goodness. But I think that this may be a little bit too judgmental. I could be wrong about this. But a lot of this stuff comes from a state of laziness and a lack of desire to be confrontational. Because somebody made an interesting comment um, about nuclear weapons. They said that it's because of nuclear weapons that we've developed such a non-confrontational, uh, you know, pussified, <laughs> gynocentric society, right? It's because we have nuclear weapons that we no longer have to fear catastrophic mass casual sufferable wars right um and maybe to a certain degree that's made us weak but also people don't want to confront very fundamental societal moral problems that a lot of people have right that really ruffle a lot of feathers and if you really want to change society for the better you've got to be willing to tell people that they're doing something immoral, they're doing something wrong, and you need to repent and change your ways, or else you're going to not only bring yourself down, but you're going to bring all of us down. Because, you know, sin is kind of infectious. You know, in the Orthodox Church, there's the idea of ancestral sin. It's not original sin. It's not the idea that we're all born with sin. Um, you know, we're born in a fallen way, but and into a fallen nature. But it's not, uh, and I don't want to comment too much on theology because this is a sensitive subject, but um, the idea of ancestral sin is that because we are surrounded by kind of like a historical precedent of sin, it makes it easier for us to sin. Like when you're around, you know, bad influences, then you're more inclined to do bad things. And you're, if you're at church with a bunch of, you know, holy, godly people— you know, you're less, in, you're less inclined to curse. You're less inclined to get drunk and to do other inappropriate things. You know, it's sort of that whole idea of, you know, the five closest people around you are going to determine who you are, right? We're influenced by our environment. And if you want to change your environment and you want to change society, you're going to have to encourage people to act in different ways than what they've been doing. Or you're going to have to just reject them. And say, you know what? You're acting in a way that's inappropriate, 
you are now ostracized from the group. You're not part of our group. Maybe that incentivizes to change them to change their ways. But fundamentally, it's a moral issue. Uh, what's going on in society, and because there is no structure anymore in this post-Christian society of fighting evil, of fighting degeneracy and things that debase society, um, then what happens is people like this come with surface-level solutions and say, hey, this is going to fix all of your problems that you're experiencing. It's an easy fix that they're trying to sell you. Rather than telling you, hey, you need to get up, up off your butt, you need to stop doing this, you need to repent, you need to uh, maybe you know, give food to the poor or something like this. You need to actually live a moral and good life, which is very difficult, which is very hard. I mean, let me not pretend like it's easy, and let me not pretend like I'm doing that to the best that I can. I mean, I try, but it's tough. But that is how you really revolutionize the world. That's how you really change society, right? And Stefan Molyneux talks a lot about peaceful parenting. I think that's a great thing. Uh, Mark Passio talks a lot about the natural law and uh, rejecting evil and speaking the truth and things like this. That is how you do it. It's not with cryptocurrency. I mean, if anything, we invest in cryptos, particularly Monero and private cryptos, because we see the fundamental issues in society are not being fixed. They're not being addressed. You know, everyone wants to come up with easy fix solutions like this, which promise people, you know, a whole new world, but really grant almost nothing. And we see them ignoring the moral decay and the moral collapse, which is behind the collapse of just about everything else. You know, when the division between good and evil breaks down, then that border breakdown expands to everything else. The border breakdown of your country, the border breakdown of civilizations, and the border breakdown of even genders, it seems now. I mean, there is an ever-increasing breakdown of order because of the breakdown of the barrier between good and evil and our capacity to recognize that and our capacity to act in accordance with that. So, we buy Monero because in a world of increasing evil, nobody's able to see what money we have so that they can take and so that they can conscript. Right, We can actually transact with one another, and I don't even have to trust who you are with Monero, right? because it's totally trustless, it's totally permissionless. You're not, you don't have any capacity to look into my wallet. You can't connect my wallet with my personal identity, things like this. I mean, that's all very important in this society. Now, Monero and parallel economies could do a lot of good to kind of fight back against the evil that's taking place, which wants to kind of kill the free market economy and create like a neo-feudal technocratic society. I get all that. But um, these are things to consider. These are things to consider. I don't want to rant too long on that. Let's move on. Uh, point number nine, if Bitcoin fails, capitalism fails. There's no CEO of Bitcoin. Bitcoin gained value organically from the bottom up. The network represents the spirit of capitalism harnessed in code. Self-interest combined with innovation and ingenuity if you value capitalism value bitcoin so we value capitalism right and capitalism does grant indeed innovation and ingenuity so the thing about this which is interesting is that to believe that bitcoin 
is going to continue to be the market leader, you have to believe that there's nothing that's going to be innovative which is better than it, right? I mean, like he said, there's no CEO of Bitcoin. Bitcoin can't lobby the government, really, in order to you know, establish dominance in the crypto sector. You, you know, actually, maybe they can. Maybe the Bitcoin bros could lobby the government. Hey, only Bitcoin could be legal tender, not these other cryptos, right? In fact, you should ban these other cryptos. Maybe that could happen, right? But if you believe in capitalism, you believe in innovation. And innovation has already happened in the crypto space to the point where Bitcoin has been made obsolete. Uh, anything that Bitcoin can do, Monero can do better. <laughs> okay, so... Um, if you believe in that spirit of capitalism harnessed in code, well, then you should have your ears perked for anything which could outcompete Bitcoin, right? So maybe he should say if crypto fails, capitalism fails. But even then, that's not entirely true because maybe something comes along that's better than crypto. Um, whether or not that happens as a medium of exchange, I don't think that will happen. I think crypto is really the height of our capacity to have medium exchange. Now, whether or not it's a store of value, that's a whole other debate we're going to talk about next week if I have the time. Um, I don't think it is a store of value. I think there are issues with that. And maybe if it is a store of value, it's not the best store of value. I think gold and silver are still the most optimal store of values. We'll make the case for that. But um, that's something I want to note there. Number 10. Let's see. How far are we? If Bitcoin fails, we will own nothing. Peter Schiff would say, if you own Bitcoin, you own nothing. <laughs> so, uh, we don't own anything of value. Uh, oh, my goodness. Oh, Lord have mercy. This, there's so much wrong here. Okay. Property and money are regulated and stored with custodians. You don't own it. You just have a claim. With Bitcoin, the value of your life's work can be stored in a few words. Free to take with you anywhere. So... I want to make sort of like a spiritual point here. In the world that we're going into of, you know, Klaus Schwab and you're going to own nothing and be happy and, you know, all this stuff. One thing that you want to make sure that you always keep in mind is that you do have a soul and you do have a conscience. Um, you do have sort of like an accounting sheet inside of yourself that keeps track of the things that you do wrong and the things that you do right. And... If you don't have a good conscience, then you truly don't have anything, even if you have everything, even if you have Bitcoin, right? There is nothing more valuable than a good conscience, ladies and gentlemen, and a good moral understanding of the world and Christ. I think uh, if you have Christ, you have everything. Um, so if Bitcoin fails, we'll own nothing. I think that's completely 100% wrong. Even if they were to take everything away from me, even if I were to end up in a gulag, I, I would still have my God, and I would still have my soul, and I would still have my conscience, which is everything. Um, if anything, the more that we do have possession-wise, I think it actually takes away uh, from that. I, I think that's why Christ said, sell all that you have, get rid of all that you have, and come follow me. Um, so I think that this is, again tying into the nihilistic theme that we're seeing with this thread. This is very nihilistic. It's basically saying that if Bitcoin fails, the world fails. Um, and if you are a Christian or if you are of any faith, I mean, this is um, a very 
sad perspective. So moving on, um, property and money are regulated and stored with custodians. Not if you have gold and silver. I mean, he doesn't comment at all on gold and silver here. It's just kind of assumed that they're not money and they just don't matter anymore. It's just not true. I, I think that maybe that perspective is the case because the price hasn't really moved anywhere, but we've talked about that with the paper derivatives markets and their capacity to want to, uh, or their desire to control it because of the inflation issues with it and all this stuff. So yeah, um, moving on. 11, and this is his final point. Bitcoin is too important to fail. If you value freedom, transparency, and truth, then you should want Bitcoin to succeed. Uh, if you value oppression, censorship, and corruption, then you should want Bitcoin to fail. Well, I want Bitcoin to fail. <laughs> I want Bitcoin to fail, but not because I value those things, but because I value something better than Bitcoin. I don't want people to get sucked into something which is suboptimal and in the coming financial crypto wars which are to come is not going to be able to take the pressure, right? If everyone's in Bitcoin, but they don't know about Monero and they start to really crack down on crypto, then our capacity to really kind of have an independent parallel economy is diminished. The more people that know about Monero and actively start to trade in Monero for goods and services, as opposed to Bitcoin and, you know, just holding Bitcoin because it's a store of value. And it's just going to go up and all this stuff, right? I mean, that's not how you have a revolution. You don't just buy and hold something and, wow, I, I am a true revolutionary. Like, come on, dude. Um, we need to trade. We need to transact. That's why we need to get rid of this whole store of value thing, this digital gold thing, this, uh, you know, buy, hold, and wait thing, hodl. No, spend. No, perform goods and services. Trade with your fellow man. Build a business. Establish a parallel system a parallel economy for getting food for getting uh you know computer services done for getting uh transportation this is how you have a revolution you opt out and you create your own system of life your own system of commerce um that's why i think it's awesome if people went to monero rather than bitcoin and why this is false that you value oppression censorship and corruption if uh you want bitcoin to fail so that's that's something that um. Yeah, and this guy comments, I think, rather accurately. He says, I'm confused and can't be bothered to read. Well, you got to read it first. You make it sound like life only goes on if Bitcoin succeeds. Uh, I was born before Bitcoin. My life goes on regardless of Bitcoin. Right. And I said, it's not a big deal, bro, to start using Monero. <laughs> so, yep. And somebody had a really good comment down here. Um, And this guy in Capula, it, he, uh, come on. Load up. Sorry, my computer's slow. Tom Brady's retiring in other news. The GOAT. Um, somebody had a good take. Where is it, bro? Come on, show me the take. Yeah, this guy says, Cliff notes, if Bitcoin fails, we're all screwed. Uh, it's just, come on, stop it. Somebody had a really base comment down here. Maybe it got deleted by the author. But basically they said... Uh, here, let me see if I can find it on my profile. It was a really good take, and I retweeted it because it was 100% true. Uh, it was about not falling into the despair, not falling into the fear, uh, valuing your family, valuing your friends, and all this stuff. Yeah, to be honest with you, I think maybe somebody deleted it. It's crazy, bro. 
Okay. Well, I think that we commented enough on this. I think we made some decent points. I'm a little bit perturbed that somebody deleted that great comment. I think it was a really good comment. Okay. Well, I hope that you guys got some uh, value from this. And I hope that uh, you got some interesting perspectives. Yeah, they must have. Oh, here we go. Found it. So Greg says, and this is just kind of the wrap this up he says bitcoin fails life will go on bitcoin is not our savior christ is our savior most bitcoiners know this i don't know if they do uh but that's a white pill if they do take a step back and remember what is truly important in life faith family and friends and i do remember uh at liturgy a couple weeks ago um our father was talking about how when a lot of the russians were arrested by the Soviets and put into these gulags, these Siberian, cold, miserable work camps, they would still have a liturgy. And the altar that they would use in order to perform the Eucharistic sacrament would be a tree stump, it would be the belly of somebody. Like, they would make use of whatever they had in order to attain the everything, the all that is, of the faith. And I found that to be really inspiring and it just encourages you to remember that all this materialistic stuff that we have, books and you know sunglasses and all this stuff, man, it's got to come secondary. It's got to come secondary. And I think this is kind of what the crypto community has lost. And this is why the revolution has just become so strayed from its original destination. The original destination was not... Uh, for compliance bros to say, hi, government, we love you. Would you mind regulating us so that we could have the attendees, please? <laughs> like, I don't think that was the ideal. I think it was, you know what? We don't need the government. They're evil. We don't need central banks. They're evil. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to have our own digital cash. Uh, we're going to trade with each other because we're human beings who have a right to free trade and commerce with one another. Uh, and nobody should be getting in the way of that. There shouldn't be any third party that wants to suck that life that's moving between us mutualistically out of us. And we should have our freedom back. But we see increasingly with the metaverse coins, with uh, you know these surveillance systems like Ethereum and Bitcoin, which Arctic Mine has said about Ethereum, it's like basically a new banking system. It's like a neo-banking system, something like this. Um, it's just like every step of the way, it's just another sellout for money or for some other worldly gain. And I think the crypto community needs to return to his roots to value principles again and to value what that original spirit was that was laid out by Satoshi in that epic white paper. Um, we need our freedom. We need our liberty. And if we also incorporate that desire for freedom and liberty into what really matters, which is our faith, our family, and our friends, the human beings around us, which make life worth living, then I think that uh, this revolution could get back on track. So let me know what you guys think. Um, just a little bit of a social commentary I wanted to give for you guys. Um, went on a little bit longer. Thanks, Relevant Peter McCormick, for bringing this up. It was a good topic to discuss. 
So with that said, um, Manero Mateo, check me out on social media. Check out the links below uh, for Gab and for Odyssey. Thank you guys for following on Odyssey, by the way. We have 500 followers on Odyssey, which is awesome. I love Odyssey. I mean, I don't have to worry about any uh, videos being taken off randomly or any censorship, which is fantastic. Um, and you don't have to watch commercials because <laughs> now we're monetized on YouTube. Amazingly, I'm surprised we're... We are monetized with everything that we talk about. But, you know, maybe they'll wake up and figure out who we are and what it is we're trying to do here, you know. But, um, yeah, go check us out on uh, Telegram and Gab especially. Gab is very cool. And then the donation links below. Thank you for those who are donating. Um, and remember to give me a shout-out. If you incorporate uh, somebody into the Monero Bro Battalion, who is accepting Monero for goods and services as a business, or they're just an individual getting into Monero, reach out to me on Twitter. Uh, I'll give you a retweet. I'll give you a shout-out here. There's somebody who did that recently. I forgot to give him a shout-out in this video. I'll do it for the next one. But uh, it's good to see that the network is growing and more people are accepting this stuff and understanding the value of it. So good stuff, good stuff. Monero Mateo, you guys have a great day. God bless you.